Hi, Mrs. Moss here again. If you remember, at the end of chapter two, mom had just gotten home and the boys had given their sister to their enemy of sorts. And mom wanted to know where their sister was. Chapter three, no take backs. Bobby Jean and I took pains to assure mom and dad that Susie was probably perfectly fine and safe over at Corey Cormer's place. We shouldn't have said probably. Mom's eyes became like two chocolate brown lasers slicing through us from our bedroom doorway. Dad stood in the hall behind her. Unbelievable, he muttered. Get in the car, Mom said in a small, tight voice. A voice that meant massive trouble. Her voice had escalated right through shouting mode into a high, quiet, dog-only range. Just to be perfectly clear, Bobby, Jean, and I were the dogs in this scenario. We scurried out to Mom's station wagon with our tails between our legs. Mrs. Cormer opened the screen door and immediately pushed Susie into Mom's arms. I'm so sorry. I was absolutely horrified when Corey came home with her. Of course, I would have brought her back over to you right away, but he wouldn't tell me who she was. She glared over her shoulder. Corey was seated at the dining room table, head bowed. Thank you, Mom said. She kissed Susie's sleepy, slobbery face and held her close. The enormity of our recent stupidity washed over me. Come in, Corey's mom said, pushing the screen wider. All boys on the couch. We slunk inside. Corey scooted away from the table and joined us. The couch was a threadbare, blue stripey thing with cushions flattened from long use. I sat on one side, Corey on the other, Bobby Jean in the middle. Mom and Mrs. Cormer stood in front of us, double barrel mom stare. We were in deep doo-doo, quicksand deep. Explain yourselves. Caleb and Bobby gave her to me, Corey said. I didn't steal her. It was a fair trade, Bobby Jean blurted out. Corey Cormer's eyes grew and wide and terrified. Mom glared at us. Your sister is not a form of currency, she snapped. Trade for what? Corey's mom said, eyeing us suspiciously. Corey Cormer's des desperate gaze pierced me. I grabbed Bobby Jean's arm. Corey wanted a sister. He was going to show us some baseball tricks, I said, and let us share his hoop. Instead, the three of you will be spending your time doing extra chores together, Mom said. Like babysitting, I wanted to ask, but I didn't think they'd find it funny. For the next four weeks, Mrs. Cormorad added, but that would be almost the whole rest of the summer vacation. One hour a day, said Mom. An hour a day with Corey Cormer? No way. Sometimes here and sometimes at the Franklin, said Mrs. Cormer. Plenty of odd jobs to be done, Mom added. You'll be busy enough. They spoke in the exact same tone of voice. Mom mad. Did they plan this somehow? Or can they read each other's minds? Like they could obviously read ours. Do you understand? We nodded. Franklin boys, Mom whisked a finger in front of us. Car. Bobby Jean let out a big breath. Our trial was over. Time to go home. As we slid toward the door, Corey shot me a last grateful look. He was almost smiling. I don't know what he had to be so happy about. He was still in the same hot mess that we were. Then his eyes narrowed. 
I'm coming for you, he mouthed. Over breakfast, Mom announced that Corey would be coming over at 10 to do chores with us. You're going to weed the garden, and then you're going to string up the new chicken wire Dad bought to keep the rabbits out. The chicken wire was not exactly new. It had been leaning up against the side of the house since April. I didn't mind much weeding. The garden, usually. Doing it with Corey? Well, these were the consequences of trying to be unordinary. Like Dad always says, when you act too big for your britches, the world has a way of slapping you down. I leaned over and gave Susie a little coochie-coochie-coo under her bib. She squawked and banged a rubber spoon. Applesauce splatter. Great, Mom said. That's perfect, Caleb. She slung the dish towel off her shoulder and wiped out the sp- at the spots on the table. I slid into my seat across from Bobby Jean. I knew enough to keep my mouth shut, even though it wasn't fair for Mom to call me out on that one. Susie would sure enough splatter applesauce whether I did anything or not. There was a big bowl of it on the table for the rest of us, too. I spooned a generous helping onto my plate. Bobby Jean looked pointedly at me over the potato pancakes. He kept stretching his eyes all big and waggly his eyebrows. He was trying to do some that thing where we communicated without talking, but it only worked some of the time. I mouthed. When the phone rang, Mom retreated to the other side of the kitchen. Hi, Camille. Yes, send him over any time. Bobby Jean leaned in. Gotta hide them now. Chapter 4. Meeting Sticks Malone. Corey Cormer was coming. We were on the run. We plowed through the woods, lugging the gunny sack, passing it back and forth between us when it got heavy. How far are we gonna go with this? I asked, huffing harder under the weight of the sack. This was what I got for trying to make myself stand out. I could hear Dad's voice in my head. You're just like everyone else. Don't let them tell you different. Two paces ahead of me, Bobby Jean was walking like he was on a mission, which, of course, he was. We can just stash it here, right? I said. All we really needed was for the stuff to be out of sight for a little while. Corey's going to be at the house any minute. We could just keep going, Bobby Jean said, his voice a mix of pathetic and hopeful. Yep, I agreed, and never come back. This was a switch. Usually I was the one saying we needed to get out of Sutton and see the world. Bobby Jean always sided with Dad. We've got everything we need right here, boys. But the threat of Corey was something powerful, like kryptonite. No sudden movement, son. Keep your hands where they can see them. Your turn, I said, pausing my stride. Bobby Jean gave no sign of stopping. Come on, okay? You know we can't. That's when we ran into Sticks Malone. Well, tripped over him would be more accurate. We didn't even see him. He was sitting on a stump at the base of a ragged old shag bark hickory. Eyes closed, nodding to the rhythm, a pair of knobby little buds in his ears, long legs stuck out in front of him, and right in our path. Bobby Jean went sprawling. He yelled as he fell, except he never hit the ground. Sticks flew up out of his seat like he was on fire. He grabbed Bobby Jean mid-sprawl and wrestled him up upright. Sticks's elbow locked around Bobby Jean's throat. What gives, he shouted. Why are you running up on me? I ain't do nothing. It took me a minute to figure out how to answer. The very last thing we were expecting right then was to see another person. Sticks clearly felt the same way. What are you doing in my backyard? This is our backyard, I said, not yours. This was not remotely true. We had run pretty far beyond our property. 
but this was public land. Sticks had no more claim to the woods than we did. Sticks Malone squeezed Bobby Jean's throat tighter, yanking Bobby Jean back against his chest. His fingers were dark and his nails all smudged with grease. He was a whole head taller than Bobby Jean, but he was scrawny with long knobby limbs like a praying mantis. Bobby Jean was built like a box full of bricks. It should have been a fair fight. Bobby Jean's eyes started bugging out of his head. He reached up and grabbed Sticks's narrow wrists. He kicked his feet back, one after the other, trying to cut his captor down at the ankles. Sticks was some kind of ninja. He dodged Bobby Jean's kicks, then swooped his legs forward both at the same time, however impossible, and looped Bobby Jean's ankles, locking the two of them together like a funky pretzel. Slickest move I've ever seen. Bobby Jean's throat convulsed in silent outrage. He looked like a starfish with his legs splayed out and his elbows flailing. What are you doing here, Stick said, folding firm, holding firm. We had a perfectly good explanation, as if we needed one. Yet, my only co comeback was, what are you doing here? At this point, I was zero for two, and Bobby Jean was no help, seeing as he couldn't breathe, let alone speak. Between the two of us, Bobby Jean and I had been in our share of fights around the playground, but nothing life-threatening. We always had each other's back, but I already had my hands full. I wasn't about to set that gunny sack aside. Stop it, I said. You're killing him. Styx Malone was black like us, only darker. He was darker than anyone I'd ever met. That was one of the things I was thinking, even while he was busy squeezing the life out of my brother. Your friend's got about 60 seconds of air left in him, Sticks Malone said. He's my brother, I said. Let him go. I got up the courage to look into Sticks's eyes. He had dark eyes. In the shadows, they appeared almost black, but his expression didn't seem mean. He seemed scared. We're not going to hurt you, I said. Even with his bugged out eyes, Bobby Jean managed to glare at me for saying it. That was when I knew he was going to be okay. You can let him go. You back up first, Stick said, and drop the bag. I carefully set down the large sack and took two steps back. Okay, it's okay. Stick's eyes shifted, like he was looking to see who else was with us. We're alone. We're running away, I said. We're in big trouble. Running away? Well, that was stretching the truth, but those were the words that came out of my mouth. Slowly, Sticks released the, his death grip on Bobby Jean. Bobby Jean wrestled free and ran around behind me. If the situation hadn't been so dire, I'd have been laughing at the freaked out look on his face, not to mention the fact that he was now hiding behind his little brother, his baby brother, as he liked to point out. What gives, man? Bobby Jean panted the moment he had his breath back. We never did nothing to you. Sorry, Stick shuffled his feet. His lanky arms fell to his sides harmless. Where I'm from, when people run up on you, you gotta act quick. Shoot first, ask questions later, Bobby Jean mumbled, rubbing his neck. Something like that. I think we got off on the wrong foot, I said. I stuck out my hand toward him. I'm Caleb Francone, and this is my brother, Bobby Jean. Sticks eyed my hand for a while, then he grabbed it and squeezed. The handshake was quick and awkward, like maybe he was new to that sort of pleasantry. Sticks Malone. Where do you live, Bobby Jean asked. I don't live here, I'm just staying here, Sticks answered. Where's that, I asked. Sticks hitched his chin over his left shoulder. I didn't actually know what was in that direction. I had always assumed more woods. You have a house, Bobby Jean asked. 
Where you're staying? Yeah, it's a house, Six said. What do I look like? Like I live in the trees? I didn't mean nothing by it, Bobby Jean mumbled. You live by yourself, I asked. Sticks grinned. Heck no, I'm a miner. I got plenty of people keeping tabs on me. His smile brightened. My skin turned warm despite the morning breeze. What's in the bag, Sticks asked. I opened my mouth to answer. We can't really talk about it, Bobby Jean said. That's why we're in trouble. Sticks walked right over to the bag. If it was anyone else, we might have tried to stop him. But he was the only guy we knew who'd ever gotten the the good drop on Bobby Jean. Wow, Sticks said. That's the most awesome collection I've ever seen. We know, Bobby Jean said, hanging his head. We warned you, I said. Sticks reached into the bag. If it was anyone else, there's no way we would have let him do it. But even though we had just only met, even though he had almost just killed one of us, we knew there was something special about Sticks Malone. It's like we could feel his power, like we could sense all the changes he would bring into our lives. So when he stuck his hands into our bag, we didn't try to stop him. If we had, this wouldn't be the beginning of the story. It would be the end.